Hello everybody, Julian Charles here of themindrenewed.com, coming to you as usual from the depths of the Lancashire countryside here in the UK. And today I am very pleased indeed to welcome to the programme Pastor Stephen Buckley, who is pastor of My King Church, a new Bible-believing church in South Manchester here in the UK, which adheres to the basis of faith of the Fellowship of Independent Evangelical Churches and which, since the global events of 2020, has been meeting in a secret location in South Manchester. And I shall ask about that in just a minute. Uh, That intrigues me. Uh, Steve Buckley was born on the mission field in Asia to a family of teachers and preachers, and prior to pastoring at My King Church, has been involved in church planting leadership. Steve, it's great to have you on the program. Thanks very much for coming on. Well, thanks for having me on, Julian. Appreciate it. Well, today, in a sense, we're going to be adding to a kind of ongoing conversation. I, w- I won't dare to say series, because whenever I say series, it doesn't turn into one, but an, an ongoing conversation that uh, started a few weeks back when I last spoke to Reverend Phil Saker. For those of you who don't know, he's an Anglican minister here in the UK who's been on TMR a number of times. He has serious concerns about how so many of the churches in the UK particularly you know, have responded to the events of the last two and a half years. Anyway, so we've started that conversation, um, and that started with TMR number 200 82 following christ in the new old normal but today now we have steve with us a different voice a different perspective um so when we started this ongoing conversation i was trying to get the idea playing on that dreadful term of the new normal you know many of us have been able uh, now to get back to something like normal in our lives and of course i don't mean everybody of course many people's lives have been very very badly damaged by what's happened but but I wanted to ask, you know, if we are able to get back to quote unquote normal, is that really desirable? Should we really simply be embracing the exact old normal if that means returning to some kind of sleep in which so many people, both inside and outside of the churches, seem to have been asleep to the system? I'll call it the, the system of, of evil, really, that reared its ugly head during the last two and a half years. Rather, it seems to me, we should be seeking a kind of new old normal in which we embrace everything that was good in our lives from before, but with a new sense of awakeness to the realities that we face as we move forward into this, frankly, uncertain future. So, as I say, we're adding to that conversation today with this new voice, Steve. Welcome to the programme. So, before we get going into all of that, perhaps you could tell us a bit more about yourself. You say you were born on the mission field, um, you've been involved in church planting, your life seems to have been about Christian mission from day one, really. <laughs> um, it, it, it could appear like that. Um, uh, appearances uh-huh. aren't always the reality, though. <laughs> uh-huh. So yes, yes, I I was I was born in Thailand actually. So mm. uh, my parents were missionaries there, and I moved to the UK when I was about five with my brother and sister, who are uh, a year and two years older. And yeah, I, I grew up in the church. My father went on to be a vicar for the Church of England. Uh-huh. Um, but I drastically fell away from the faith. Like a lot of people do, I guess, they hit their teenage years and they think they can do it their own way. <laughs> and so right. uh, I ran as fast as I could away from the Lord. But it turns out that he can run faster. <laughs> <laughs> you've just trashed my next question. So I was going to say, is it oh, fair to sorry. say you've always been a believer? <laughs> so, God. Okay, tell us more. So, yeah, I mean, I was, I guess, uh, I was a, a fugitive from the Lord, if you like. And uh, he came mm. running after me and he certainly got hold of me. Um, and so, I guess, initially, 
you know, for me, it was a case of going right back to the basics to ask the bigger questions. You know, is this is the faith that my mom and dad have? Is this true? You know, mm-hmm. and so uh, apologetics was the the first thing I kind of set out to discover and understand. And then once I'd oh. I'd said yes, this is the truth. For me, it was then okay. Well, there are all kinds of flavors uh, of Christianity and ways of doing church, and are some wrong, are some right, are some better than others? What is the right way of doing it? And so I would ask all kinds of questions, and I'm asking myself these questions. Um, you know, why are we doing church the way we're doing it? Why do we even meet on Sundays? Just all of these questions. Where do the Jewish people fit in? And so eventually, I went to an independent church. Not because I, I, I sought out what was the best church and, and, and that was the one I viewed as the best. It was simply an invitation from my sister, actually. <laughs> uh-huh. um, but um, very, very quickly, I was kind of pushed to the front. Perhaps they'd seen something in me of leadership. And um, before I knew it, I was part of, of church planting. Which means what? That's interesting, because a lot of people listening will, of course, know, but there may be some people who don't know what that means. It sounds a rather horticultural approach to church. (laughs) What does it mean? Sure. So to plant a church is to establish a new a new gathering of God's people. So uh, church, it, it, we tend to think of building being church, but church is the gathering of God's people. Mm. Um, the word in the in the Greek is, is ekklesia, but actually this word is used by the apostles of uh, the Old Testament people of God as well with regards to Israel. So it's not new so much as it is really just a gathering of the of the the faithful remnant of God's people so to plant a church is to establish roots in a particular location and to gather people and to teach the word of God and hopefully other people will will join that and we can worship him and make his name great throughout the earth so presumably using the this metaphor of, of planting and the like you could have different approaches to that presumably you could cut off a branch of a pre-existing gathering and plant it somewhere else, you know, 12 people or something, go and try to set up a church in a different place. Or you could have a seed where it's just one person goes and tries to do something completely new. Does it include all those sorts of ideas? That's good. I, I think it does. Yes. Mm. Uh, and what, what one person might say is church planting might be to someone else. Well, that's just a church moving to somewhere else. Also, mm. th- there are there's different views of, of church planting. And the, the church planting I'd been part of previously was, um, you know, a, a wider church that decided it wanted to establish um, a kind of network of that church somewhere else. And so yes. I was kind of co-leader of that to, to establish that. Uh, whereas my King Church was really just, if you like, that seed. It was really just mm. a kind of myself, my family, to say, hey, we're going to start something new and, and we, we want to gather some people together. Very, very interesting because that is the thing which really intrigues me because following on from the conversation I had with Phil Saker last time, that is how I'm thinking at the moment. I don't, I can't see how pre-existing church can be moved to another place when that church is not cognizant of the things been happening i think i I feel like i'd be in the same boat doing that so to start something completely grassroots just happening across other people who think the same way that's what i'm gravitating towards at the moment um but there's a lot to discuss with all that okay so could you tell us a little bit more about my king church because this is uh this is really intriguing You, you meet in a a secret, secret location in South Manchester. What's going on there? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I have to say, I did, I did laugh internally when you said secret. 
Um, <laughs> it's not really kind of secret in that uh, we're, we're hiding from people as such. Okay. Um, no, it, it's more that we, we it's, it's a home fellowship. So we're fortunate that, to have uh, quite a, a large home. And so we meet in our home, uh, but we don't, don't want to publish that publicly to people really to protect protect family my three children and yes. so forth uh, but people can contact us and if they're you know serious about joining us then i will let you know and you you're very much welcome into our home so it's not secret as in cult secret <laughs> <laughs> no okay just, just uh, not um it's just not put out to the public okay and this started did you actually start in 2020 um, it's a good question. I, I don't really have a set date as such um, because there was there was years really of preparation in prayer. Um, but we we were meeting in central Manchester to begin with in a coffee shop and people joined us there. But um, I felt like God actually steering me to uh, a location closer to home. And I even wondered, should that be within our home ourselves? Should we open our home to people? And I felt like God said to me, just wait. And um, I, I'm quite impatient sometimes when it comes to ministry. Um, <laughs> but um, I tried to wait. And then within a few weeks, actually, all the lockdown happened. I, we couldn't meet in the center of Manchester. And so it's like, ah, well, we have nowhere to do it now but home. So hmm. perhaps this is where God is directing us. And then before you know it, we had, you know, two, three, four families come to join us. Hmm. So have you had people join you who were largely concerned about the kinds of things we're going to be talking about, the church's response to the so-called pandemic? Has that made a difference to your membership? Yes. And that, that wasn't particularly intentional, but mm. most of you, if you look at the videos I put out, most of the videos are just Bible teaching videos. Mm. Um, but from time to time, I will connect, you know, what is going on now yes. um, with the Bible. How, how is God steering the nation? What is happening in redemptive history and eschatology and so forth? Mm. Um, but it does seem to be that people that, that are attracted to our gatherings seem to be of the same mindset. They're frustrated with mm. government they're frustrated with other churches um and now i am contacted probably two or three times a week by people around the uk uh that have no church to go to um, yes and feel kind of lonely and lost yes you are the right person to be speaking with for sure um Okay, so let's pick up with this conversation, the following Christ in the new old normal. Now, I first heard about your work thanks to a listener, long-term listener, Brian. Thanks, Brian, um, who alerted me to one of those videos that you produced. I think that was back in December 2021 called Wake With Me, uh, which has been recently removed from YouTube, I believe, yes. for violating terms and conditions. So I want to congratulate you. Yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> yes, for that, that badge of honor there. Um <laughs> Um, anyway, I thought it was it was very perceptive, very perceptive indeed, and, and edifying for believers with regard to the events that have been unfolding at that time. Um, a lot of it's still very, very relevant, and uh, that led me, of course, to other media of yours, Weep With Me and Fear Not. I still recommend people to listen to those, so I'll obviously put out your, your website in a bit, um, and I think people should listen to those because they are very very informative. Um, and that persuaded me you've got a lot to say with regard to this conversation. So could you tell us why? Well, it's kind of obvious why you put those messages out. But what were you basically, obviously, we'll go into more detail, but you know, what were you basically saying with those messages? 
Well, it was a journey for me. You know, it, it wasn't as if from the get-go I was awake to what was going on. Although mm. for many years I have been frustrated with the sleepiness of the church, with the church kind of doing it, its own thing rather than what God is speaking to the nation at, at this time. Mm. But um, really what, I, what I'm saying through those three kind of things that I put out is to say, look, the church is asleep. Mm. Uh, we have decades to repent from. We need to wake to the hour to recognize that government is not there as our savior. Mm. And we have to recognize that while we might follow you know, some of the things through Romans 13 to submit to authority, that actually when, when government becomes a terror to good conduct, at that point we must disobey and we must follow the Lord mm. um, above all. And for me, the, the previous two years has just exposed. It's, it's really just revealed where each one of us is at. Um, and so I, I thank God for his kindness for doing that. But I pray the church would wake up to the hour and see that the mess that we are in. And may we never go back to where we were two years ago. Mm. Yeah, you brought up Romans 13. We talked about this with Reverend Saker. And I sometimes wonder actually whether the churches have hidden behind that yeah. because it sort of lets you off the hook a little, doesn't it? Sure. Uh, Paul seems to be saying, you know, trust the authorities and obey the authorities. And so one can just say, well, it doesn't matter what happens. I can just sit back and I'm doing the right thing. If the government says such and such, doing as I'm told, and that's what I'm told to. But there is this presumption with Paul, it seems very clear to me, that the authorities are working for the good of the people, you know, representing the will of God. And if that's not happening, if that presumption is removed, then it seems to me a different equation. As so you say, it becomes a duty eventually. We might, you know, you can punt to Martin Luther King Jr. on this, you know, it becomes our responsibility to disobey at a certain point. Um, but yeah. do you think there's anything to that idea that the churches sometimes hide behind that? Yes. Yes, I absolutely do. Um mm. And we balance scripture out. So, yes, Paul says that generally speaking, we follow the laws of the land. You know, we we, we stick to the, the rules of the road when we're driving. We pay our, our taxes. Even if we don't like it, if they put it up a little, we pay our taxes. Um, but did Paul not escape in a basket? <laughs> yes. Right. This yeah. is the same Paul. You can't take one snippet and ignore all the other scriptures. I mean, there is example after example. Look at the midwives. I love the example of the midwives in Egypt. They disobeyed Pharaoh to kill the baby Hebrew boys. And what was God's response? Was God's response, oh, we must punish the midwives because they did not obey government? No, he rewarded them. He rewarded their disobedience in the preservation of life by giving them families. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I've got a nice quote here that I just picked out from Martin Luther King because I just uh, thought, well, you know, got to have something to go with this. And how about this one for a quote? Uh, this was helpful to me, actually, when I was walking into shops, you know, without a mask on, when effectively I was breaking the law at that time, but I couldn't out of conscience do that because I was aware that a mask was not really about health. It was about um, reinforcing this behavioral psychological system that had been put in place. I was not happy about that. Mm. So, um, you know, I had this one in my mind and it's uh, one who breaks an unjust law must do so openly, lovingly, and with a willingness to accept the penalty. I submit that an individual who breaks a law that conscience tells him is unjust and who willingly accepts the penalty of imprisonment in order to arouse the conscience of the community over its injustice is in reality expressing the highest respect for the law. Now, it wasn't coming to imprisonment in, in my case, but, you know, just that thought there that, yeah, actually, 
you can be doing the right thing sometimes if the law is clearly against the will of God. Um, you said that to begin with, with this so-called pandemic, you initially believed the mainstream narrative. I did. Mm. I shouldn't have done, really. <laughs> um, yeah. So how did that change over time? So initially, um, in the spring, I think it was of 2020, I, I believe generally what, what the government was saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, there didn't seem to be anything too out of place. Yeah. Um, this was a new virus. I thought the media was doing its typical thing of making it more dramatic, perhaps, than, than it should have done. Mm-hmm. And uh, I kind of made a, a joke of this in a Fear Not uh, audio podcast that um, I visited a friend and um, – his his wife is Chinese, and so we were sort of having a joke with him and uh, and a laugh with him about what's going on in, in China. And then I returned home, and then my wife said to me, you know that she's just got back from China, don't you? And I said, what? <laughs> like, you know, we were, we, we were having a laugh about it, but I didn't realize she'd just got back from China. And I said to her, like, whereabouts in China is she from? And her says, I, I think it was Wuhan. <laughs> <laughs> and so yeah. we googled it and then we're like oh my goodness this is the place where it's originated so we were actually panicking mm. and um, i was a little bit annoyed with my friend at the time <laughs> for, yeah. for not for not warning us um but really when we got to the summertime um and they introduced masks that for me was a red flag right I, i'm not you know, medically minded. But for me, why are you introducing masks outside Mm. in the summertime? That made no (laughs) sense to me whatsoever. And so at that point, I was already a little bit suspicious, but at that point I was like, no, something is definitely wrong here. And so I started to download all the Excel sheets from the government website for the yearly deaths. And I just compared the yearly deaths, the all-cause death rate, and it didn't add up. It did not make sense. Hmm. And when I heard Boris Johnson give a speech about the Great Reset, I think that was about the summertime, I was deeply, deeply troubled. Hmm. Um, and I thought to myself, why on earth are you talking about resetting the economy and our nation in line with the world? And why do you all have the same slogans, Build Back Better? You've not just yes. come up with this overnight. This has been built over months, years. Hmm. And so, you know, I was, I was deeply troubled and I was more troubled by the response of the church from, from there on out, really. Hmm. Quite a journey there. Um, quite similar in some ways to my own journey with this. Um, can I come to your video, Weep With Me? Um, yes. You identify there three main areas that bother you about the church and this approach to what's been going on. So they were... A tendency amongst Christians to see what was going on as being from Satan, um, in the sense of not having anything to do with God. Yes. And also you say a concern in the church that we should really be all about the suffering of people as a consequence of what's been going on. That should be our focus. You know, and it's kind of understandable, isn't it? You know, we pray for people's healing and the like. And then the third one was this call within the churches that we should be unified as a church in our response and together with the nation together in this experience as a nation and you take issue in the video with all three of those not perhaps to say that they're all completely wrong but there's a wrong emphasis about each of those three could you explain what you mean about that that wrong emphasis sure so 
Yeah, yeah. And initially, um, there's this call from individual leaders to the body of the church. Um, and there's a pastoral call uh, for those, those suffering. And of course, I do not downplay those people that have lost uh, loved ones, mm. uh, people that have lost businesses and so forth. These are tragic things. And there needs to be you know, pastoral care there. I just don't believe that that should be the message from the pulpit at this time. Mm. The message from the pulpit for me it needs to be the message that God is speaking to the church. Absolutely. You know, we, we need to ask the questions of why is this happening? Mm. You know, we can't just say this is, uh, this is man, this is satanic. There has to be, you know, what I would say step one has got to be like a recognition of judgment from God. Mm. Okay, there's got to be recognition. There are all, all kinds of false dichotomies that I've seen out there. They say it's man, it's not God, God's will is to bless us, um, it's satanic oppression, it's not God, or this is God, but it's not Satan or man, this is God. Um, and biblically, it just isn't that simple. There is a matrix of things that are constantly progressing. Man conspires, um, Satan inspires and empowers, and God works his redemptive purposes through all as sovereign Lord. Hmm. And we see throughout the Bible that God does bring about plagues. He brings about strong delusion. Hmm. He uses armies and famine to discipline and chastise nations. So we have to recognize that man has conspired to form a global government, hmm. and Satan thinks, Satan who's behind it, thinks that he can sit in the temple of God as the king of kings. Hmm. And at the same time, God is using wicked schemes to soften the bride, to sanctify her in preparation for the wedding feast to come. Wow. There is so much in there, isn't there? Because when people think of judgment, they tend, I think, to think in terms of, you know, this this old man sitting up there on the throne with a stick. And if you do anything he doesn't like, you're going to get whacked with the stick. And it's a kind of direct individual judgment or even direct judgment of the church or a nation or whatever. And it's, a, as you say, you talk about a matrix of players in this and you're talking about God's sovereignty over all events. It's a lot more complicated than that. And one of the things that I like to keep in mind with this is the story about Jesus, you know, actually going to the cross, knowingly going to the cross in the context of a conspiracy against him involving you know, Roman and Judean authorities. He goes to the cross, and yet out of that, God brings his purposes of atonement for those who have faith in what Jesus did there. That is the matrix playing out at the center of Christian theology, isn't it? It's very good. So it is, it is a lot more complex than is often presented. So how are we, as the churches, supposed to react to this? We're supposed to see this as a complex matrix with God sovereign. Where should we be pointing the finger then? Are you saying we should be pointing the finger back at us? How does that make sense? I would say, first of all, there's got to be that recognition of judgment from God. Mm -hmm. There has to be recognition. There's judgment from God. And if so, then we can move to step two, which is uh, diagnosis of the health of the bride. Mm -hmm. We have to diagnose why has judgment come upon our nation? We've got to ask that question. Mm -hmm. There's got to be a recognition that the bride, at least the professing bride, is in a mess. We are in a mess. Mm. And then after that, there has to be, you know, individual and corporate repentance. Um, mm. But w w when we look at the mess, if you like, that the bride is in, 
And when we can point to all kinds of things, the message of the gospel that is put out there, the order of the bride, the prostration to culture, the entrenchment and the idolization of denomination and traditions, the obsession with showiness and, and or respectability mm. and this kind of false idea of love that doesn't involve negativity or correction and bears expressions by telling the church to wear masks and take experimental gene therapy, right? Mm -hmm. Right, so there you're referring partly there to the entertaining services, presumably, where the preacher just does not want to venture into the territory of saying, just a minute, we might have got things wrong. No, let's get the sooty and sweep show out and entertain everybody. <laughs> presumably that's the kind of thing you're referencing there. Uh, absolutely. We, we are pretending as if God hasn't judged us that everything is cushy and we can go back to normal. It's no, we are enticed by showiness and we're obsessed with respectability. Mm. And Jesus cared for neither. And I think, I think the UK, just in general, and I think this is embedded within the church, I think we suffer or we struggle with arrogance. Perhaps it's residue of the old empire, but it is expressed in, in our theology and practices. Mm. I mean, look, Paul said, Paul said that we are to mature. We are to mature to manhood, to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Does that not describe the church? <laughs> Meaning what? Well, we're children. Yeah. We're children. Mm. Mm. And so we, we're conforming with the culture of the world. And it, we can go all the way back to you know, Oregon's day with his dual realms, you know, of spiritual and physical, you know, off the back of Plato. And we can move all the way to today. We have women priests because the culture demands it. Right? The climate change movements, medical fraud, BLM, we buy into all of it. Mm. The media shouts, jump. And the church shouts, how high? <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, that's certainly true. Indeed. Okay. Wh but what about, what about asking the question, why is this, why are you seeing the church at the center of this? I mean, the pandemic, so-called pandemic is almost global, isn't it? Mm -hmm. So why would you think that is a judgment for the church? It's a judgment upon the whole world, isn't it? Sure. Well, I would, I would start on a national level first. The nation is in a mess because the church is in a mess. The church is supposed to influence the nation to turn to the Lord God. And instead, the world is influencing the church. It's the other way around. And that's why I will talk about the prostration to culture. Because if we follow every wind of doctrine, we're tossed to and fro. We are just led by the wickedness of the nation. And when that happens, well, we are going to be judged and so some will say, well, hang on a minute. First of all, they say, well, this is not just my church, it's other churches. It's not just our nation, it's other nations. Mm. Well, is it? Is it every nation in the world? Is that what's happening? Is that what's happening in Africa? It tends to be the, the westernized nations that this is supposedly affecting. And God is judging our nations. And I believe he's judging us through heavy-handed government because we desire it. We desire it. We've turned to our nations as our savior because our lives have been so comfortable and we've lived in luxury for so long. Well, why wouldn't we trust them? Mm, mm. And so we no longer call upon the name of the Lord as our savior. Of course, we do. 
but we we call upon the name of government to save us as well yes. and this is yeah. this is the, this is the problem that, <laughs> that that we are in we've got to look internally and ask why is the bride a mess and we are a mess we are a mess okay so if we as you say are in a situation of a wake up call where we should indeed we must ask deep questions of ourselves both corporately and individually. Okay, you say that this isn't just a wake-up call. You call it a lullaby wake-up call. Now, that's that's a curious phrase because, you know, wasn't it serious what happened? A lullaby wake-up call makes it sound almost trivial. But then I'm thinking, surely you're not saying that what happened wasn't serious. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you know you seem to be implying that there could be something a lot more serious coming down the road. So could you unpack that a little? What what you mean by this term, a lullaby wake up call? Yes, um, the way that I would describe it, I suppose, is that um, we're kind of like on on an obstacle course, and obstacle courses start quite easy <laughs> and the obstacles get tougher and tougher and you can't just get off the obstacle course mm. um, what has happened in the previous two years is a gentle rocking it's a soft shaking by the lord again i'm not downplaying any of the hardships that people have faced those things are yes. very very real but i'm talking generally speaking for most of the nation for most of the church the real shaking is to come Right. And you cannot have step four, five, six, seven, okay, without returning to step one, the recognition of judgment, the diagnosis of the health of the bride, secondly, and thirdly, that individual and corporate repentance. You can't bypass those steps, okay? And so what I would say is, look, he closed your church to defibrillate the heart of it, hmm. to shock it from the sleepy rhythms of of the sluggish posture and you've fallen asleep the moment you've returned hmm. most of you have you know you can't have the what now without the what have we done Fasc you can't. No, this is fascinating because this particular theological perspective often decried by people but actually has an important utility here because you said he closed the church most people would think, no, oh, no, 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 no. We were told to blah, 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 blah. You know, it was the government that did that, etc. No, you said he closed the church. And that's such an important perspective because it allows us to read that as what is God telling us. And I, yes. you know, once that dimension is missing, there's something that we cannot understand that is vital to moving forward. Tell us a little bit more about this. I know this comes back to the notion of judgment, but what does that really mean to say he closed our churches? So I've I've listened to all kinds of church podcasts, uh, the, the first service back after two years. Mm. And by and large, they tend to pray, God, we, we pray we can continue where we left off. Mm. This is the general prayer. And I've even heard these prayers from the pulpit. God, we pray you will help us continue <laughs> where we left off. Mm. Now, alarm bells should be ringing in your ears. Where is the maturity through discipline? Yeah. He has shut your church. He didn't shut it down in World War II. He shut it down while you were leading it. Hmm. Do you want to take a moment to reflect? Yeah. <laughs> well, they didn't just shut our church. They shut all the churches. Well, do you want to think about how you may have contributed to the corporate wickedness? 
And I may add that you chose, you chose to close your own church. You chose to. You judged yourself and your own congregation. But a lot of people will say, a lot of leaders will say, we closed the church because, not only because we were told to do so, but we really believed this was in the health interests of our congregants. Now, how do you respond to that if people believe that they themselves have done that in a good conscience? Sure. Well, look, we are each responsible for the flock that God has has given us. Mm. And if our government is telling us to close our churches down, you need to make sure it is your responsibility to do the due diligence and discover if, yes, we should be shutting down our churches. And I would say that most leaders have taken what BBC News says to them, and they've gone, oh, well, BBC News says we should shut our church. This is dangerous. Close it. Mm. No, I didn't do that. I, I went to the government website and downloaded the Excel spreadsheets of the deaths. And I had a look at it and said, well, this doesn't add up. Something doesn't add up. And we're all going to be held accountable. If you close your church, not just for a week here, we're talking for months and years. If you are prepared to do that, well, you have to stand before God and say, I chose to close it down because of a virus. And God will ask you, well, what made you think there was something so dangerous that would kill off your congregation that was more serious than worshipping me? Hmm. Now, if you can do that, fair enough. But I would suggest you need to perhaps look introspectively and ask those questions. Yes, indeed. Even if it means meeting in the car park, and we've talked about this as well, there was just such a lack of of trying to think through the situation. What can we do? And um, thinking biblically about it, you know, what is God saying to us through the word? And I just wasn't aware of much going on. Just shut it all down. Um, Okay, so if we do diagnose this individually and corporately, then I mean, this is central to this ongoing conversation. What do we do? This is where I'm really not despairing. That's too hard, but I'm confused as to how to go forward with this because I cannot see how anything like this is going to happen in my own church. And most of the churches, well, am I right to say all the churches I know? I think I'm probably right to say all the churches I know. Um, I can't see how this is going to change. And this is what is making me feel that I want something completely new. And as you heard in the previous interview, and I have these relationships with people who go to a stand at the park, and that's what I'm doing on a Sunday, and I'm seeing God actually move in that situation. The last couple of weeks, I just have this sense that God is moving in that situation. I don't know what's going to come of that, but whether something comes of that or not, it's that sense I have that something new is going to happen. Now, that is separate from going back into the church. And I'm not saying I won't go back into the church. I, I will. I have friends there and I'm, I'm happy to worship there, etc. But I cannot see something new, some real understanding and a real sense of repentance in that congregation. I just cannot see that. Um, so what is the solution with this? Hmm. It, it, it is, it is, it's baffling. Sure. Um, the, the good news is that the bride will be sanctified before the Lord's return. So, I would definitely like to underline that. She will be. But men have to be prepared to walk away from corrupt, diseased organizations and denominations. Structures must collapse, and they will collapse, because they will be tested by fire. 
repentance isn't just like a one-day event and then the following day we can just call for revival. No, mm. we have decades of wickedness of doing it our own way to turn from. It's a permanent posture change that needs to take place. We have to get back to the book. And again, I would say you cannot bypass these steps. Uh, take, for example, church plants that are popping up. Church plants have popped up in the past year even. If you take a general sort of sweeping view of the landscape of new church plants that are popping up around the UK, if you go to the who's who's page, the leadership page, you will find that most are husband and wife teams, that, that husband and wife senior leadership, mm. which means they're unbiblical from day one. It may be a fresh expression, probably less fresh than you think, but it may be fresh according to you but it's just another unbiblical church outfit and this is the issue we have those who recognize the grip on the tradition and they say, seek ways to make church relevant for the present day but then they go off to form cooler versions equally as unbiblical but look revival and everyone wants revival i want revival but revival without repentance is unheard of there are well-intentioned outfits that put on festivals and events, and they're full of energy, and they're perhaps gifted in encouragement and evangelism. But the thing is, we have we now have dozens of mini Billy Grahams preaching that God loves you and wants to bless you. So put your hand up and ask Jesus into your heart, and you get to go to heaven when you die. Mm. And what we do is we then count the hands, we publish it in our newsletters, we feel good about ourselves, and we get more revenue coming in. Mm. And there was a time for Billy Grahams post-war when the nation is broken and required hope and encouragement but is god saying the same thing 70 60 50 years on no what is god saying to our nation right now what is the lord saying to the church in the uk and as a as a preacher i would say this if you love your town, if you love your city, your nation, call it to repentance. If you want revival, get on your knees. Get the city on their knees in tears because fear and trembling is the posture of revival. I agree with you. I cannot see that happening within, let's say, the church that I attend. And when I look at these statistics, I only recently saw a report that was saying that the Methodist Church as an organization, in this country anyway, has got about 20 years to go. Uh, that may not be the case, but um, the very fact that they can say that tells me something. I'm not at all surprised by that because... Uh, as you probably know, I mean, I had an experience of uh, beginning the exploratory process of Methodist ministry myself, and I was horrified, actually, to find that there was not this cherishing of Scripture at the center of the training. The Bible was, by and large, looked upon as a resource, an important resource, but essentially just one resource among others. And there was this diversity of opinion, mm -hmm. even to the extent of saying, well, I'm not, not even sure that Jesus rose from the dead and these sorts of things. And it's a reflection of the broader denomination. And, you know, out of that context, it seems almost impossible to me that there is going to be what you're calling for. It's got to be outside of that. That's my own thought about it. Mm. Um, and here's, here's the thing, Julie. Mm. What will happen when we get to the next obstacle and then the next wow. one, and the next mm. one, the church will be forced 
to what's happened in the previous two years is it's just exposed where people are at. The obstacles to come will force people's positions. It will force people's hands and we'll find out who that faithful remnant is, who really can hear the Lord. And it is a lonely place. It's going to be a lonely place. But, but look, when you, when you ask, like, who are the faithful members? Because sometimes you can even have self-doubt and wonder, am I the one? Am I unteachable? Am I the one who's not hearing correctly? And, and all these things go through your, your mind. Yeah, yeah. But look, look at the Bible and ask yourself, who are the ones that receive the word for such a time as this? And you can turn to the likes of Ezekiel, you know, where, uh, the, you know, the Lord said to him, pass through the city, through Jerusalem and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and groan over the abominations that are committed in it. So there's about to be a slaughter of Jerusalem. So those that are being sealed to be saved from the slaughter to come are the ones who sigh and groan. They call us negative and too serious and an alarmist. Well, hey, if you meet me in person, you'll probably find I'm much more jovial. I'm, you know, I'll have a laugh with you. But when we're talking about serious matters, <laughs> well, this very cl- clearly came over in the early part of the conversation. Yes, indeed. <laughs> yeah, but you clearly have a very, very serious side about this. Yeah, this is, and I mean, look at look at Elijah. You know, he mm. he felt like he was the only one, and God said, "No, there are seven thousand in Israel, all the, knee, the knees that have not bowed uh, to bow." And so there is always a remnant. There's more out there than you think. So it's good to know that. Yes. And if you do feel lonely. Yes know that you you are in good company Mm. (laughs) pun intended um i mean noah noah had a 500 foot sign effectively and people are mocking him and laughing at him and he's saying no judgment is to come um abraham who left his family to a land he didn't know moses think about the remnant of messianic jews today Mm. they have felt lonely their whole lives some of them the wilderness though the wilderness is the place where you hear the voice of the good shepherd the clearest and I understand that there will be tribulation, great tribulation before the glory to come. Yes. But we, we must stand firm. We must stand firm to the end. We must be ready, watchful, diligent. And do you know what? Be encouraged as well, because I know, I know God will raise up men to lead. Yeah. Because we do require shepherds. Right? Let's, let's just be clear about that. Yeah. Let's not just think the flock can survive without them. Um, yeah. But authentic relationships must be led at some point. Otherwise, it's authentic gossip or authentic grumbling or authentic displeasure, Mm. right? Uh, But these leaders, they're in the desert at the moment with prophetic voice for today. And we've got to be patient uh, that the Lord hears your cries. He hears your cries. And Mm. we know that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So yes, do be encouraged. Indeed, and we're not to try to do this alone, are we? I take seriously you know, the admonition in Hebrews that we're not to give up meeting, and, and yeah. of, of course, and I am looking for some new expression where I can actually fellowship with other believers in a more meaningful way. That does not mean that I'm going to sever all relations with my current church, no, but sure. I'm going to try to find ways of going back into that congregation and doing what I can in that situation. But 
not just to say, okay, that's it, that's fine. No, no, no. I, I am looking for something new. And hopefully in that process of, of being open to what God is doing by his spirit, you know, in the locality, I, I will actually bump into, quite coincidentally, um, other people who do think similarly. And who knows what will come from that. So yes, I am conscious it is important, of course, to have Christian fellowship, but something new has to happen. Um, it's a very encouraging message that you put out there that uh, there are other people who do feel the same. In fact, you know, I I, I've, uh, I have permission here from a listener who sent a fantastic email to me about their experience during 2020. May I just read it? Because uh, Go for we're it. talking about other people around out there. Here's somebody the other side of the world from us who's experiencing the same sort of thing. So in early 2020, we were in the process of looking for a new church home after attending a Wesleyan church for the previous five years. When the quote-unquote scamdemic brackets, I don't know what to call what's happening, uh, began, 85% of the churches in the area closed, including the ones we've been attending. The lockdown never carried the force here, it seems to have had in the UK, but the vast majority of churches were more than happy to go along. Uh, Most churches had no discussion or comment on the matter. As somebody looking for a church whose doors were open, it was very discouraging. My wife and I started our own ritual on Sunday mornings. We would dress for church go to a local church building with Bibles in hand, we would then walk around the block that that church was on while talking and praying. We would walk until we completed seven laps around the church. He said, then says, none of the churches ever fell down after the seventh lap. Maybe we should have ended with a shout. Um, I felt like I had, now this is what I think, I felt like I had to do something. I felt like I had to do something to make Christians realize what they'd done. In May of 2020, we were notified by an old friend that their church had resumed services outdoors in their parking lot. We began attending this small Baptist church, immediately felt like this could be our new home. Uh, We were moving towards becoming formal members when in November 2020, the church suddenly closed its doors again due to the health scare. They remained closed for only two weeks, but it shook me. And I informed the pastor that we were putting our membership plans on hold. Um, I had to know whose church this was. Um, and it goes on, but it talks about, um, we cave to Caesar with only the slightest social pressure. And there are people all over the world, fellow believers, feeling this, experiencing this, and looking for some authentic expression, some new movement of the Holy Spirit in this area. So I thought that I would, I would mention that because it's just, amplifies what you said. There are people out there and um, we need to be open to the spirit to draw us together in whatever way that might be, whether it's in existing churches or outside of existing churches. God can do surprising things. As I said to you already, just in the last few weeks, I have a sense that things are moving. I, I, I can't really explain that, but I just have this sense that God is doing something even among people who I, I know who do not necessarily claim to be Christian, God is doing something. What that is, I don't know, but something is happening in my experience. Yes, and I, I would add as well to that, and thanks for that. It's uh, mm. that's a, a really uh, you know, heartwarming testimony there. It's good to hear other people's experiences of this and yes. to know that there, there are other people out there more than we think as well. Mm. And it's pretty clear to us that the fear of man now determines doctrines in the church and positions and and how we go about church. Um, But it's true that, you know, even the world is calling out the church for being unbiblical. And I see this just in conversations that I have with people, you know, in person. I see this online as well on Twitter. 
that the world is calling us out, which again, it's, it's why can't the church see it? If, if some of the world can see it, um, you don't think you're in a mess. Well, the world thinks you're in a mess. <laughs> Um, and you're trying to call the world to repent. Um, it's curious, isn't it? Because so often the church feels like if we become more and more like the world, we'll be acceptable. And it doesn't work, does it? Uh, <laughs> you've got to stick to what you think is true. That's what works. Yes. What is the point of church if it isn't countercultural? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Indeed. Yeah. Um, okay. You have five things here, which I've found helpful. Um, just practical things, really. Pray, repent, prepare, be practical. Push back. I'll say those again. Pray, repent, prepare, be practical, push back. Have you anything to say about those five things now, a couple of years on? I can't remember precisely what I said in that video, but um, you know, just on the spot, I would say that prayer is one of the most powerful weapons. Many people prayed for me personally that I didn't even know were praying for me for many years when I was away from the Lord. And they must have thought, there's no way I'm going to come back to the Lord. Yeah. And they are incredibly surprised at the turnaround. And so we have to pray. We have to pray. We have to pray for, <laughs> um, we have to pray for our families. We have to pray for uh, the church as a whole, our own local church. And, and we, we need to call them to repentance as well. The second thing, we, we've got to repent ourselves. It's got to start with us, right? We can't just say the church mm. is a mess. Let's call it to repentance. It's got to start with our own posture. Yes. And we can only repent once we know what we need to repent of. Mm. So we need to go back to the book. We've got to recognize the judgment. We've got to diagnose the health of, well, what's the health of your own family life? Mm. What is the health of your church? And we've got to look introspectively and say, mm. what are the things that we need to turn from? And ask the Lord yeah. to forgive us from. And then we can call the church to repentance as well. And, and, and from that call, the nation to repentance. Mm. Um, can I just go back to what you were saying sure. about prayer? Um, going back to the video that you produced, you, you were saying along the lines of, you know, we, we need to be informed so that we know how to pray. Mm. And actually, that's really important, isn't it? Because if you're, if you're always praying, help us through this situation, that's about it. Rather than, let's say, praying something like, Lord, indeed, help us in this situation, but also help our Christian leaders to realize the deception that's going on. Um, These sorts of things, you know, pray informed of really what's going on rather than on the surface. Yes. That would make prayer much more successful. Yes. That's a good point, actually, Mm. because prayer today has really become individualistic and it's become about ourselves and our suffering and our anxiety. Mm -hmm. And yes, those things are important. But actually, I'm in the process of of preparing uh, teaching on Genesis 4. And Genesis 4 describes the first moment that prayer began, Hmm. when they began to call upon the name of Yahweh. Uh And so what you do is you follow that phrase throughout the scriptures, to call upon the name of the Lord, Yahweh is the Hebrew. Mm -hmm. And what are they doing? What is that prayer? Are they praying for God to help them in their troubles, in their anxiety? No, that's not what's taking place. When you follow that theme through of calling upon the name of the Lord, which is what prayer is primarily about, almost always it is about asking God to fulfill his promises, to fulfill his covenants, Uh to fulfill redemptive history, to come back to save us. That's why we cry, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, come back, fulfill the covenants to Abraham. 
that, that he would establish Israel in the land, that they would become this blessing so that all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That is what we pray. And that's what informed prayer looks like. Uninformed prayer looks very much at ourselves and our own troubles and looks down and, you know, it's, it really becomes self-love and almost narcissistic. Hmm. And, and so we have to look outwards and say, God, we want you to do in this nation that, that has never been done before. We, we want to finish well as a nation. We want to bless Israel because they are the ones that are going to be the vehicle through which you're going to bless the entire earth. And that's another conversation. But yeah. to call upon the name of the Lord is to, yeah. is to look to him and, and his return, ultimately. Uh, well, I know this is another conversation, but that whole dimension of eschatology is something that's been terribly neglected by many of the churches. Not all, but uh, certainly my denomination. It's the sort of, you just don't go there, you know. And what do you mean you don't go there? When we see things happening in the last couple of years that, well, you know, it's not exactly a fulfillment of eschatology, but it points in that direction. If we're not informed of where that trajectory is going, we're missing out on some very serious lessons. You know, when I look at the vaccine passports and I'm thinking, this is like a pre-echo of you shall not buy or sell unless you've got the mark of the beast, you know. Yeah. I'm not saying it's a fulfillment of that, but I am saying that it's something that points in that direction. And as we become more and more a technocratic society, I think we really do need to wake up to this. And if that eschatological dimension is missing from our teaching, we're not going to see that coming, which is horrendous. Yeah. I know there's a massive conversation to be had in there, but yeah, it's, that's all part of, well, I suppose that comes to the next one, preparing, doesn't it? Yes. Um, and how you prepare will reflect your eschatology, right? Mm. So, you know, if you believe most of the, the prophecies were fulfilled in AD 70, well, you don't need to prepare, do you, for Jerusalem to be surrounded and, and so forth. And we can just discard most of you know, Matthew 24, 25, what we call the Olivet Discourse. Um, yeah. But 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 essentially, I'm going to jump in there yeah. uh, just because this can become partisan straight away. And actually, I've had a, a very good conversation with somebody about this a few years back, and we reached the conclusion that actually, what should be taught in the churches is an array of approaches to eschatology. Not to say we're just going to cast out all preterism. Nobody's going to know anything about preterism at all. But no, 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 let's look at all these possible interpretations, so that when what is going to happen happens, we can say ah. That was right. <laughs> you know, we now understand what's going on. Those other views were incorrect. We're prepared for what's going to happen. You see, it doesn't have to be either or. It can be being properly theologically educated, you know, as congregations. Well, we just don't, very often, we don't do education, do we, in the churches? No. I mean, I would say that absolutely we should we should teach uh, the different positions yes. in the same way that I believe in schools we should we should teach evolution. Um, but I would say that it's pretty difficult for a, a Bible teacher, a preacher, to not hold a, a particular position. Absolutely, um, yes. you know, sure. I, I sure. would come from a futurist position. Yes. Um, so would I actually? Yes, and I didn't mean it in an absolute sense like that. No, personally, as a preacher, I would say well, this is my view. Sure, I would say there are other views. This is what they say. And I'm not saying, you know, you're not a Christian if you don't believe this, but this is my view and, you know, I'm going to be very straightforward about it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I see the whole, really, of the whole of our faith as eschatological. I always have done, really, that sure. it is an arrow pointing forward to what God is going to do at the end of this world, this universe's history. Um, so somehow to bracket that off and say, well, we don't do eschatology is doesn't really make any sense to me, you know? Yes. <laughs> um, when Jesus arrives, that is the end times. And everything that he says is full of that promise of, well, the kingdom is coming. 
that's what we're looking to. We're looking to the new heavens and the new earth. And he sends the Spirit. And mm. the Spirit is the down payment, isn't the promise of, well, what? Well, the promise of resurrection, you know, which is an, an end time thing. And that, it's, it's the hope that we have. That's all happening within the New Testament yeah. itself. So I can't see how people can say, oh, well, eschatology is something bolted onto the end of the New Testament that we can just discard. It doesn't make any sense to me. No, no, it's, it, it is, it's every, for me, it's, it's the driver of discipleship. Mm. It's the hope that we have right from the beginning. Mm. When you look at Adam and Eve, they're told basically that you're going to start dying. Okay. So what, what hope do they have? Well, they have hope in, in Genesis 3.15, that the promised seed that will come yeah. from the woman. And so their hope is the same hope that we have, the resurrection mm. from life. And for those that are alive, the translation to glorified bodies. Yes. But it's the same hope. It's just that the cross is the mechanism. It's the legal mechanism that achieves the hope of the kingdom to come. Mm. And I'm very thankful that a lot of the churches, they preach the cross. But they're, they're missing the second part of the gospel. Because essentially the gospel is two parts, that he came and is coming. But we just, we, if you forget about the coming, you, you, you basically have a partial gospel. Yeah, and you say that a lot about the return of Christ in your messages, uh, which really chimes with me, because every time I preach around Advent time, that's what I concentrate on, because it's all about, oh, let's prepare for Christmas, you know, <laughs> baby Jesus. And, all right, that's half of it. Okay, let's prepare ourselves fine, but let's also prepare ourselves for his second coming, his second Advent, you know, that's always missing, yeah. or nearly always missing, so I make sure that I concentrate on that. I um, don't know what people make of that. Some people say, oh, you're too enthusiastic for me, you know. <laughs> um, oh, well, okay, so we need to pray in an informed way. We need to repent. Okay, this isn't just a corporate thing. It's got to start with us, yeah. and we need to prepare. What about pushback? How do we push back? Isn't the Christian supposed to just meekly accept everything that happens and uh, be goody-goody two-shoes? Yeah, we're just supposed to be passive wimps, right? <laughs> no. yeah. Jesus, meek no. and mild. Yes, well, that's it. And he, he was. And, and at the same time, he would flip over the tables in the temple. Mm. He would whip as well. Don't forget the whipping. In, in quite, I think yes. if we were to witness that scene, it would be quite aggressive and there would be uh, you'd see an anger in him. Curious, because my father... God bless him. Christian soul used to say, I don't think Jesus did that. He didn't think that was a genuine Jesus tradition there. And I thought, well, now, why do you think that? Because you've had years and years of people giving you the impression that Jesus would never do anything like that. And I disagree. I think, yeah. yeah. And one of my favorite depictions of Christ is the angry Christ. I think it's a South American artist where the Christ figure is looking straight at you with an angry face and you can see the tip of the finger pointing straight at you from the painting. Yeah, we, we, we tend to forget as well that the Son of God existed before the manger, right? <laughs> yeah. And yes. who, who is the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament? Well, it's, yeah. it's the Son of God. It's the pre-incarnate Jesus. And, and so you see several times, he was there at Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, he, he was there that, that led them through the Red Sea crossing, and he was very happy to have the waves crash on the Egyptian army. Mm. So which Jesus are we referring to? Are we referring to this kind of made-up Jesus, yes. this meek and mild and this little wimp? No, he was fearless. He wasn't afraid to push back against the cultural barriers of his day. Mm. Mm. Um, and, and we shouldn't either. One of the main jobs of preachers, of pastors, is to guard, guard the flock and to an extent guard the nation. And so when our government is oppressing us, and they're telling us to cover up children's faces. Mm. It is your job to say, no, mm. 
No, we will not do that. Mm. I am not going to pretend that masks do anything because you tell me they do. Mm. So I will be the only parent that goes in the schoolyard without a mask on because I want my child to see my smile when I pick them up from school. Mm. We have to push back. Yes, we want to, generally speaking, remain within the law, but there are times when we have to break some laws when it directly contradicts God's laws or his creation realities, such as Mm the facial expressions with a mask. And I'm very thankful for those out there that are pushing back against the medical fraud which is taking place, because it is medical fraud. Mm. Yes, and we have the situation of being gently advised, but nevertheless advised to have children injected. Yes. And I've yeah. just listened to Dr. Geert van den Bosch again, and he's saying, don't do it. Don't do it. This is looking really quite dangerous, particularly for youngsters. And I might include a link to that in the notes. Uh, And of course, as I repeatedly say, I'm not a medical person, but I hear what he says, you know, I really do hear what he says. And I'm not about to have any of those injections put into my child. Thank you very much. And children as well. It's been said, right, that there is zero chance of your child becoming seriously unwell and dying from COVID. So why on earth are you going to inject them? Mm. But these aren't vaccines, Mm. are they? Mm. Of course they're not. They changed the definition, didn't they, to make them seem respectable? Just change the definition. Indeed. And the church should be at the forefront of that. The church should be at the forefront. All of this could have stopped. The children today that are getting injected because of these vaccines in our nation is because the church has been quiet. It's because the pastors of the flocks have been silent on the issue and we will be held accountable for that it breaks my heart well i just want to end with a quote from one of your videos uh, so your own words here uh, because these very much express much of what i was feeling for much of the time during the last couple of years so i quote finally we must wake we are desperately sick this is the time for the church to wake to sober up, publicly vomit, corporately repent, stand firm and shine, wake with me and cry Maranatha, which of course means a call to Christ to return. Mm. What did you mean by publicly vomit? You tell me first, and <laughs> I'll tell you if, if I thought differently from you, but it, it struck me. Um, well, the, the, the bride is drunk, the bride is sick, she is disheveled, mm. and to sober up, you're probably going to be sick. Mm. And you can't hide from that. It has to be done publicly. There has to be a public acknowledgement, not just of the previous two years, because we were, the previous two years has happened because of what happened in the decade before it. And this is kind of the situation that we're in, is that not only will she not look in the mirror and see that her dress is a complete mess and she's drunk, but she can't see how she even got like that in the first place. Mm. But she needs to, and she needs to publicly vomit and tell the nation that we are we are sorry, that we have not led you well. We haven't led you well. We've moved away from the Bible. We've followed you. Rather than calling you to follow us, we have followed you. Mm. And we publicly repent for that. Yes, and it's subtly different from the kind of public repentance that we see that tends to be virtue signaling of various causes. And yes. We've got to show that we're on board with this and we repent for how the church behaved hundreds of years ago. And mm-hmm. that's not what you're calling for, is it? No. You're calling for coming back to the essential truths of our faith and not just saying sorry, but acting out a, 
a change of course in connection with that apology. Because you know, as yes. it's often said, the essence of repentance is to change direction, not really to sit and weep and feel sorry for yourself, but to, yeah. to make a positive decision to move in the other direction, away from what's wrong toward what's right, towards God's will. It's a posture change, a permanent posture change. That, that's it. That's it. Yeah, I love that phrase. Yeah, a permanent posture change. Yes. Yes, indeed. Great. Well, thank you ever so much, Steve, for coming on challenging conversation a great second part to this mini series <laughs> which i said i wouldn't call it but i have done now uh, but lots of really important messages in what you say i found that personally helpful i hope that many people have yeah um your church website uh well of course it's called my king church is it just simply my king church.com or is it dot co it, it's just my king.com actually just my king.com uh-huh. my king.com very very easy to find now on there of course people will find the videos and audios that i've been referencing during the conversation even the one that's been taken down by youtube is still yeah. there on a different platform which as i said before i do recommend people check those out Um, they'll all be there in the show notes thank you ever so much steve for coming on it's been a delight and hope to speak to you again in the future sometime yes thank you very much for having me appreciate it show notes for this program can be found at the mind renewed themindrenewed.com podcast music by the brilliant anthony rajakov attribution non-commercial share alike 4.0 international you have been listening to me julian charles and my guest pastor stephen buckley and i very much look forward to speaking to you again in the near future